Good morning. I trust that you have a fondness in your heart this morning for the B-I-B-L-E. As we worship this morning, I want to invite you back to a very familiar passage that you've spent some time in recently. I was thinking recently what to share this morning. I <clears throat> made preparations and, and I found it interesting that I don't often, sometimes I do, but sometimes I ask or listen to find out what was shared here recently. And uh, I had to smile to myself when I realized that Brother Evan covered the passage that I plan to use for the message this morning, but we, we plan, Lord willing, to look at it, a few of these verses in a little different, a little more in-depth, perhaps, <clears throat> way. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's good that each of you are here this morning. I invite you to turn to Ezekiel 9. The words of that hymn are quite extensive in their impact that we've just sung together. <clears throat> Recently I was going through Ezekiel here, then there was a verse, something that happened here in this chapter that, that made me think about the subject this morning and how it impacts our hearts and our lives. We have here in this chapter, uh, uh, my subtitle in my Bible says, Vision of the Slaughter of the Guilty. But there's something that <clears throat> stood out to me here in God specifying how to proceed in verse 4. Let's read a little bit here. The Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, throughout the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly, old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. <clears throat> this account gives us a picture of God's feeling toward those that don't have a heart for the things God has a heart for. The impurity, the, the abominations it talks about here, he says, Set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry. In other words, there was a, a group of those that were there that lamented, that um, the word cry there in the Spanish uses the, the thought, the description of a trembling before God, that the evil that was going on, that was taking place. And... Um, and so, I was blessed this morning as we were studying the preeminence of Christ and 
the, the role it plays in you and I finding ourselves in singing joyfully the words of that hymn of the virtues of the Word of God. It's direction, it's instruction to us. And sometimes we find things that we are to do. Most often he tells us what to do. And sometimes he tells us what not to do. Now, what did Brother Evan encourage you to do last week? Who can remember the title or some of the title? Action words. Believe. Love, okay, and abide. We think of First John, we think of his treating the subject of love and its importance in our hearts and lives. And this morning I would like to consider with you, uh, with God's help, a couple of verses that tell us a couple things that we are not to love. Love not, it says. We'll be looking primarily at verses 15 through 17. And just to understand the, um, what is in focus there, um, the importance of that. I wanted to ask you, you know, sometimes what we experience and observe uh, causes us to think. At least it does me. Sometimes I'm not as thoughtful as I ought to be in certain respects. But many times I see something and it makes me think. And when we think of the subject of love, love not the world. Or I was trying to think of how to title the message. And I've chosen steadfastness against the winds of worldliness. How are we affected by it? What does it mean? These verses, I think, help us identify some of the aspects involved in that. <clears throat> but what causes people like you and I to do what we do? What causes people that we seem to think, well, we're quite a bit different from us. What causes them to do what they do? Last evening we were on our way into town and to the right I just my eye caught the sight of a man walking and I'm not sure if he wouldn't have had a heavy growth of whiskers. It wasn't a long beard but it was a definite crop of whiskers. I would have had to look again to see what he was. I don't know him, don't have a clue where he came from, where he's going, but I wondered to myself, what's making him do what he's doing? People look at us with those same questions. 
love not the world. The winds of worldliness. Who is teaching us what we are learning? I had a young fellow helping me a little bit recently, and I noticed, you know, he had a ear stone in his ear. And I thought to myself, what taught him to put that there? What influence? It likely was not just something that he had a dream one night and got up the next morning and said, I'm going to find a shiny stone and fix it to my ear. Another experience I had this week that was a pleasant one, a positive one. We were invited to a little gathering there with some neighbors. And a young fellow was there that I don't know how much teaching he has received. But he did something that blessed my heart. And I don't know who taught it to him. But he took his hat off when we prayed. Who taught him that? Where did he learn that? I dare say he didn't learn that from the world. That was something that he probably got from a different source. <clears throat> Sometimes we see clear trends of of pursuit of toward worldliness or the aspects of the world. Sometimes we see clear and trends of blessing of people seeking the blessing of God coming out from the world, being set apart, being sanctified for his praise and for his glory. And then occasionally we find observations or illustrations of, of uh, a hybrid, a mixture. Something that is put together that doesn't really make sense. Recall seeing a dear lady, fairly well dressed, with hanging veil, skirt and blouse, fairly modest. sandals, but what really caught my attention was her toenails were a very attractive, somewhere between sky blue and turquoise. Very neatly done. But the gears in my head began to turn and I began to ask myself, how did that ever happen? How did that come together? From our, our mind's eye, from where we've been, our heritage, how did that happen? Steadfastness against the winds of worldliness. For what does my heart sigh and my soul cry? From the illustration in Ezekiel. I invite you back now to turn to 1 John. 
two. One of the few, few things or places that we can be told not to love. But he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There is that reference to that abiding that uh, you were encouraged in recently. Why are we not to love the world? It is not a reference to the physical world. It is not God's creation. It is not the human world. We see God's expression of love to us as mankind through the work of our Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus to us. Rather, it is the world of sin, the world of evil, the world of those things that are at enmity against God, against the Spirit of God, in the sphere of which sin and evil can take root and abide and abound and destroy faith and belief in the Word of God. It is where Satan has the ability to navigate the dark waters of disobedience, of faithlessness. Because of what the world is, is why we are not to love it. How do we discern what is involved in that? That is where we are challenged to, to seek to be steadfast against the, the, the impulses, the, the influence, the impact of that which is embodied in that sphere of, of activity of effort against the father of all mankind. So we want to look just briefly here and draw some applications from these three things that are noted that encompass quite a, a large role and part in, in our lives. The lust of the flesh mentions three things here. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. <clears throat> Things that we very commonly are challenged with. We are tested. We are tried. We face the impact of them in our daily walk and in, in our pilgrimage here. The potential to be tempted by those things to pursue unrestrained, unbridled, 
desires of our flesh. I invite you to Galatians 5. I want to read a passage of verses here, beginning in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Here we have a, a quite extensive listing of things that express the desires of the carnal heart of man. Things that have no part no relationship, no connection in a positive way with the kingdom of God. Then if we would continue on there, we would launch into the fruits of the Spirit um, to consider the impact of that. The lust of the flesh. Sometimes it's quite often associated with reference to that which involves sexual immorality, uh, fornication. We already read some descriptive words there. There's another word, licentiousness, and some of the versions use that type of a word to, um, to help us understand. It, it has the idea of giving oneself permission to to pursue certain freedoms, or um, freedom isn't a good word to use perhaps, but libertinaje, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, kind of a libertarian in English would be a kind of a libertarian uh, approach to it. You know, it does not, it's not gonna affect you, I can do that, I can pursue it. Um, then there's also, uh, the lust of the flesh also pertains to the socially, um, social elements of hatred, of contentions, of jealousies, and uh, relationships where we pick and choose who we are willing to tolerate and to relate with. Um, so keep those in mind. And while the social aspects may not involve um, immorality. It, it involves an aspect of the flesh of saying, well, I just don't like so-and-so, and I'm just not going to tolerate them. I'm just going to avoid them at all costs. I'm not going to be open to, to sharing the love of Christ and interacting with them. So there's, there's various ways in which the lust of the flesh can 
can have very uh, deleterious effects, very negative effects into our life's experience should we allow them to, to find place. Should we give them, show any love to aspects of the world. The lust of the eyes. What all is involved here? Sometimes we place, as I think of this, this text passage and I think of the verses involved, I think sometimes we're guilty. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but there's a possibility that we are guilty of weighting these three things. And we give more weight to the lust of the flesh versus the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. But I think we need to realize, just as we uh, were able to understand in, in Ezekiel there, that the heart of God hates that which is an abomination to him. And so I would encourage us not to fall into that trap of saying, well, I'm not involved in, in uh, misuse of technology or immoral thoughts or that type of thing, but um, then we become potentially consumed with covetousness of other things. And so, please hear me this morning, dear ones, that we all face challenges in varied areas. And Satan doesn't care which door of our hearts he comes in is allowed entry. But he wants entry should we allow it. And um, God in his faithfulness has given us the word, a wonderful, wonderful word of the Lord. May we seek to <clears throat> believe it, love it, and abide in it. How is the lust of the eyes translated today? It's interesting. Uh, I'll use this illustration. It was kind of cute yesterday. I had gone out and I had a little, probably two-thirds of a ice cream drumstick with me. I was working on finishing it there and got out there to the front of the barn and there was a little youngest neighbor boy out the drive. He was there and he saw that and he said, I like those. I would like one. He saw it with his eyes. He identified with it. He identified the fact that it was something he would enjoy. Can you, from your heart, say what you long for, you could ex express so freely without shame? Can I? Another word that perhaps could be a part of this would be materialism. How easy is it for us to find ourselves consumed with busyness? I asked a number of you here this morning how things are going, how you, 
how your week went. And I think almost 100% of you said, busy. Busy at what? A challenge for us. Are we busy pursuing the lust of the eye? Let's turn to some other writings of Paul in Ephesians and Colossians. I want to read a couple of verses here to <clears throat> put the lust of the eyes in perspective. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, <clears throat> excuse me, beginning in verse 5. For this know ye, for this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. He goes on to remind them that they were in that status, in that setting before, but he says, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. <clears throat> and and reminds them of that they are children of light and are to be fruit barriers of the spirit. Our, now over in Colossians three. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For, such, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Here we have another reminder, another warning of <clears throat> the, lead, the need to love not the world in these areas. To give care against the lust of the eyes, expression of the lust of the eyes. What will we be seeking after? What are we pursuing and for what reasons? Thirdly, we come to the pride of life. Pride of life. How often, how easy is it for us to feel like we have arrived, that we have accomplished, that we have come to be an example worthy of consideration. The scripture reminds us of the folly of such an attitude, and yet it is part of an attitude that is embodied in the description of the pride of life. I'd forgotten it if I had known it, but the word used here in the, the Greek is actually a word from which uh, it's related to braggadocious. The pride of life. That mindset, whether we speak it or not, that we've, what I do is, is well done. What I accomplish is, is worthy of consideration. But it says here, all these things is not of the Father, but is of the world. You know, even children, they might be 
proud of the fact that they are so old now that puts them on a status level above those that are younger. Um, so many applications and illustrations we could use and make that, that give room for the spirit of the pride of life. Experience. Family names. Who were your ancestors? What did they accomplish? What have you accomplished? What have I accomplished? Do I have an abundance of money? Do I refer to my involvements, my position, or any authority or power that, that comes therewith? Areas of the world that we are not to find fondness for. First Corinthians chapter one. <clears throat> I want to read beginning in verse twenty six through the end of the chapter here. Paul says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, <clears throat> not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Can't help but think that Paul is almost referring to Jeremiah 9. 23 and 24 when he writes these verses. That the preeminence of Christ, the place of God before us, undergirding us, is that which we should find our most noble accomplishment of glorying in Him, coming to know Him. So for you and I this morning, as, as we find ourselves here from, from young to old, in this life we are still faced with a myriad of potential relating to the things of the world. Things involving the lust of the flesh, things involving the lust of the eyes, things involving the pride of life. <clears throat> some perhaps affecting certain age groups more than others but not limited to any one group 
it is important that we love not the world because of what the what loving the world does Paul writes to the Romans there in, in reference to that which involving the or loving the world involves and he said of those that those that love the world have not the love of the Father in them and we are blessed this morning to be reminded that the love of the Father is a love that loved us while we were yet sinners and we are to have a love for the Father, a love and reverence for the Father. <clears throat> a couple of other references here yet I would like to share from James. Perhaps we don't need to turn there, but the thought is shared there that enmity of the world is, or love of the world is enmity with God, and that when that happens, we have violated the commandments he has given us here of having a love for the world. We are not to love the world because of where the world is going. The world is passing away. That hymn referred to that. With the passing of time, the world passes away. Those that abide and remain in him will abide forever. Um, First Peter chapter 1. Perhaps we'll go to James 4 first. What is my greatest love in my life? What is your greatest love? Chapter 4, verse 13 and following. Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanish, vanisheth away. The blessing of <coughs> acknowledging the hand of God in our lives is in contrast to those that exercise a love for the world and live life apart from the hand of God directing and guiding. Maybe some of you saw just recently, I think there was a young man from, I forget which country in Europe, 23, 23 years old. He was here traveling, exploring, I'm not sure that how it all came to pass, but he fell about 50 feet. And um, he died from it. That wasn't what he had in mind, I'm sure. That wasn't how he had life planned. But the love of the world, and I, I'm not, I don't want to, to misuse that illustration, but we need to guard with carefulness what we endeavor to do that we can say we do it all uh, by God's grace and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 
Peter reminds us here is for a couple places in Scripture, but here's one of them. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass that withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. So we are called to, to abstain, to avoid in these areas, knowing that out of them comes change and decay that does not bring glory, glory to the God we serve. And then also with keeping in mind that not only are we to be a part of God's kingdom here and now led by his spirit, but the coming day of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 of the Lord. Peter writes, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? We see the contrast between the things of the world that pass away and those that do the will of God shall abide forever. And so I'm sure this morning that we would say, yes, we have a desire to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So I trust this morning that as we consider these areas of challenge, and I'd like to make just a few practical references um, to to keep in mind, to think about. Um, here again, sometimes we think, well, we've been blessed with with uh, historical teaching, and and yet with coming generations, things move forward, and and. Um, what some of us think we've known, others haven't heard. And uh, the challenge to know what the will of God is and to, by discernment and spiritual understanding, make applications in our daily life. I gave you some illustrations to make you think about things I observed in the lives of others that cause us to think. But do we at times do things that we don't really think about very often or as well as we ought? Do I have a heart that sighs when I see the principles of God being forgotten, not applied in our daily life and action? And we have the constant challenge of, of daily life, uh, travel, different things where we need to face the potential of outward fads and trends, things that we're tempted to do or have to make a decision whether to do or not to do. How do we make those decisions? Is it based on, well, Paul didn't write about it. So I'm free to go. 
I'm free to do. I think you understand what I'm saying there. Sometimes those things can creep in in different ways. But the things we do in our culture, do we uh, sometimes subconsciously not really think about what we come to call things or to, to imitate? And um, when we make a commitment to have the spirit of the heart of God in our lives to, to respect him, there's a sense in which we will have caution toward in, or a caution in loving not the world in those things that affect my life, your life, your children's lives, your family's involvements. Um, how your children present themselves. Yeah, they're all in the growing process, but our attitudes toward those around can have a lot to do with willingness to comply or neatness versus sloppiness, some of those areas. So I'd like to just encourage in a few things here. And um, the way, you know, we, I don't know what you thought about when I gave that illustration of the um, contrast and application. But I think there are some areas sometimes when we are tempted and perhaps fall to that temptation. Maybe we don't paint our toenails, but there might be some other elements of my heart that's just as compromised. I pray not. But um, what are those things that we face, we struggle with? I would ask you to consider this question. Our dear little babies, and it's usually not a problem with the boys, I'm not sure. I think I know why, but the dear little girls sometimes quite often find themselves with the elaborate ribbon and flower put over their mostly hairless head, or even with hair. Who put it there? For what purpose? Is it not an adornment? Something that is of the same spirit of the spirit of attractiveness and seduction. Just a question I'd like you to pray about. How, what, what spirit guides us in, and I think we, we experience many blessings, but it, we need to review these things to keep our minds alert um, we've got the blessing of people growing up and getting married. Weddings, how do they occur? Do they occur with the blessing of the church and the families involved? Do we pattern our involvements after the world? And there's, there's one aspect here that I think it, it's primarily an, a name issue, but I'm just going to bear my heart and, and share it for your input, for your consideration. 
when the, the young guys get together and share some time with their friends or the young sister gets together with her friends before getting married, what do they call it? A bachelor's party, a bachelorette's party? There's nothing wrong with their intent of what they do, but if you many times would share that terminology with the world around us, they would wonder what in the world are we using those words for? Because of what they associate with what those things are called. In the world's eyes, a bachelor's party is the last fling, very potentially, and vice versa on the, the girl's side. So I think we can do certain things, but let us do it in the fear of God and respect for that which blesses the kingdom of God and promotes clarity in the expression of our faith. Where do we choose to travel? Does it express, express a love of the world or a lack a loving not the world? I realize I'm being very practical this morning and, and I, I want you to be able to, to love me as you listen. There are many places we can go that are probably left not visited. On the commercial aspect, the high dollar recreation centers, um, the entertainment parks, I'm not sure what all, there's better words to use probably for them. Things to consider, where are they, what is the purpose as we pursue worldly pastimes and entertainment. We've been extremely blessed through the years. I'd like to commend our sisters in many ways. And, and uh, from my growing up years, the expression of modesty in the sisters' dresses have, has been a great improvement, I feel in a general way, length included. And yet, I, I love them dearly as far as the, the graduating class. I'm using them as illustrations. Sister Sonia's here this morning. I had the privilege of getting to know that class better with our week in Mexico. But I noticed almost all of those dear sisters had to take their hands and lift up their skirts to come up the stage, to walk up the steps, to keep from tripping. Where do we find balance? Growing up as a farm girl, that wouldn't work very well at the barn, I can tell you that much. <laughs> May God give us wisdom, understanding, most of all, a heart, a heart for sighing for the things of God for crying for the things of God. And may we not fall victim to a heart of complacency and sighing for the things of this world. 
Dear ones, this morning, thank you for hearing me. I love you. I desire the preeminence of Christ in each of our lives.